Hey, get your Bibles out and we're going to be reading from the Gospel of John. Today we're starting a new uh, sermon series that I entitled Home Alone. How many of you ever have seen the Home Alone movies? I mean, they've almost become Christmas classics. I don't know if it's made it to It's a Wonderful Life yet or not, but I think just about everyone knows the Home Alone series. So we hijacked that title and we're calling it Home Alone It's all about your relationships. And uh, I'll be using just a few clips in these next few weeks from the Home Alone movies, hopefully to solicit your attention and make you think some about your relationship. And can I just say that in these next four weeks, I really want to encourage you to be here. One of the things that we often ask people when they come, especially for counseling, and of course, if you're a regular member or attender. We, we certainly make times to counsel you available. We're not necessarily soliciting it, but, but certainly because you're here and if you're having challenges or struggles, we would want uh, you to have access to maybe some wisdom or input into whatever you may be facing. Uh, but can I just share this with you? For a lot of people, they'll come to the church for counseling. And you know what? Your problems would be solved if you got faithful in a local church. Because you would hear the precepts that would be shared with you on a personal basis, shared on a fairly consistent basis when we gather together as a people. And literally, if if people would just get faithful to a local church, you could save thousands of dollars on counseling. Now, I'm going to tell you something. In the next four weeks, literally, I'm going to save you thousands of dollars on therapy. Now, Now, unless you have this need to give professionals your money, I can help you and save you thousands, literally, of dollars in the next four weeks. And, and it's such an easy venue to come and get counseling. Some of you wives, you wanted your husband to get counseling. Just bring him to church, all right? And we're, we're going to help counsel. Some of you wanted family input in the next few weeks. I can assure you we're going to touch on some things that will help you if you will have ears to hear Uh, get some stability and guidance and direction in your life. In fact, I'll just give you a little teaser. Next Sunday, I'm going to answer the question as to why people make poor decisions. Is anyone here except for, you know, me, of course. Have you ever made a poor decision? I know I've made a lot of poor decisions in my life. You ever wonder why you made a poor decision, especially after you make it and you turn around and you say to yourself, why did I make that decision? Well, we're going to answer that question because here's, here's revelation. Good decisions equal good life. Bad decisions equal. Yeah. Isn't that amazing right there? That's a, I ought to charge you about 300 bucks for that right there. That's counseling right there. Home alone. It's all about the relationships. If you've ever watched the movie, you'll know that the movie is based on the on the setting that there are two large families that are gathering together during the Christmas season and they're preparing to go on a vacation. These two large families are going to go on vacation together, uh, I believe it was, to France. They were going to Paris for the Christmas season. The youngest son, interestingly named Kevin. I didn't realize that till I got into this. I thought, boy, I hope there isn't some God thing going on there. But 
But the youngest son is named Kevin. He's the youngest of all the family members in both families. And uh, ultimately what happens is, is because the families are so large and they wake up late and they're, and they're trying to get to the airport, they lose track of the youngest one named Kevin and he is left behind. Hence the story, Home Alone. The interesting thing about the movie is, is that as you go through and you watch the movie, it is basically a study in relational dysfunctionality. Everything along the way in this family, these two families, is dysfunctional. Now I'm going to show you here in about 30 seconds a clip that has, that has taken place right at the beginning of the movie. They're setting the stage. Everybody's packing for their vacation. It's the night before they leave and go to the airport. There's general upheaval in this crowded house. They're trying to get their meal uh, eaten. They're trying to uh, get through all the last-minute details of packing. Everybody's at a high level of tension, a high level of irritation with each other. Kevin, the youngest one, is feeling like he's getting overlooked, he's being neglected, and he's even being picked on by the other kids, and he, and he causes a great mess at the dinner table. And at the end, his mom grabs him, and she begins to take care of him and correct him by marching him up the stairs. Please watch the screen overhead. Dumb, dumb. You're the only one acting up. Now, get upstairs. I am upstairs, dummy. The third floor? Go. It's scary up there. Don't be silly. Fuller will be up in a little while. I don't want a super fuller. You know about him. He wets the bed. He'll pee all over me. I know it. Fine. We'll put him somewhere else. I'm sorry. It's too late. Get upstairs. Everyone in this family hates me. Then maybe you should ask Santa for a new family. I don't want a new family. I don't want any family. Families suck. Just stay up there. I don't want to see you again for the rest of the night. I don't want to see you again for the rest of my whole life. And I don't want to see anybody else either. I hope you don't mean that. You'd feel pretty sad if you woke up tomorrow morning and you didn't have a family. No, I wouldn't. Then say it again. Maybe it'll happen. I hope I never see any jerks again. I wish they would all just disappear. Well, no, this lesson isn't about parenting. It has nothing to do. We may get there, though. But that's just a little sliver of dysfunctionality. And, and the whole point of the clip is this. Has there ever been a time you just wish your relationships would disappear? Just disappear. Our relationships, I think, can become even more stressed as you go through the always stressful Christmas season. But the thing that it struck, according to me at least, was that Christianity is all about your relationships. And while I'm not a relational guru, and you've listened to both my wife and myself talk to you about our relational challenges, I know enough to know that life will not work right unless you know how to do the relationship thing. And if you don't get the relationship thing, 
life is going to be incredibly bumpy. So what better time than to deal with relationships than during the season when all of our relationships are stressed to the max, front and center in all of our lives? Just out of curiosity, I mean, how many of you went and spent your Thanksgiving with family? All right, put your hands down. How many of you felt stressed as you spent? See, there's all right. Well, great. Two of you, three of you. All right. Well, that's great. Well, just wait till Christmas. Amen. (laughs) I want to talk this morning, though, what I entitled understanding your connections. We're going to be laying some foundation week after week, understanding your connections. I'm going to read some simple verses out of John chapter one, beginning with verse 11, and uh, we'll get rolling here. John 1, 11, we read, He, meaning Jesus, came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Now, wouldn't that be a bummer? You come to your own, but your own want nothing to do with you. Verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So let's understand all of our relational connections. The script, the Christmas story is about God. The fancy word is incarnating himself in Jesus Christ. What that means is, is that God literally enfleshed himself in human form and he stepped into our lives in the form of Jesus. He became a mortal just like us. And the reason he did it was because, listen, there was a relational problem. Especially in his covenant people that we know as Israel. Now, a lot of people don't get the point of Jesus coming. They say to themselves, well, the reason Jesus came was because there was a sin problem. And while it is true there is indeed a sin problem, we need to understand that every relational problem is a sin problem. I'll say it again. Every relational problem is a sin problem. And so oftentimes we fail to recognize that until we get some sin concepts dealt with, we'll never really get the relationship concepts dealt with. Let me give you just a couple quick definitions. On the screen overhead, I put this down. I put sin. It is coming, right, guys? It's not coming? All right, well, sin... Sin, listen, at its irreducible residue, you can listen, write this down. Sin equals selfish, self-centered, self-consumed existence. If you want to know what sin actually is, sin is selfish, self-centered, self-consumed existence. The reason God codified in the Bible all the different and various forms of sin. Now, let's just go down some of the list here. What did he codify? He codified, you ought not commit adultery. You ought not gossip. You ought not commit fornication. You ought not practice idolatry. You ought not uh, walk in lust. You ought not have hatred in your heart. There should be no jealousies. You should not murder. There should be no drunkenness. I, I mean, if you go down the list of all the things that get codified in the Bible as sin... You've got to understand the reason God put that out there, he put that out there not because he was just looking at us one day and he just decided, well, these are some things they like to do, so I'm just going to rain on their parade. 
And so he just sort of capriciously or arbitrarily decided, "Uh, I don't like these things, so I'll just list these things on the do not do list. That's not why God codified these things. All, All of the lists of sin have to deal with relational dysfunction. The reason he said don't commit adultery is not just because adultery is wrong because it's wrong. It's wrong because it violates relationship. The reason hatred is sin is not because hatred just isn't a good emotion and it just causes you to be toxic. It may do those things, but it because it violates relationship. Sin is the fracturing of relationship because it violates who God is. And the Bible says that God is love. So if God is love and God wants relationship, then he's going to begin to deal with all of those things that begin to challenge or violate those relationships. Now, I understand that may be a lot to begin to receive and assimilate, but but if we don't start there, you're going to miss some things because your relational problem, listen to me, your relational issues always boil back to being a spiritual issue. Until the spiritual thing is fixed, you will never have the capacity to deal relationally in any aspect of your life. You see, until you come to terms with Jesus and he enters into your life, yes, he forgives your sin, but also he transforms your heart. He begins to pour in his love. He begins to deal with you spiritually. Then that gives you a heart that gives you the capacity to do relationship right and well. You understand why people go out and violate this long, lengthy list of sins. You understand the reason people commit adultery is because there's a spiritual issue. You realize people gossip because there's a spiritual issue. You understand they commit idolatries, jealousies, murders, drunkenness. All of these things have have spiritual impact. And it boils down to our sin nature. And sin is I want what I want. When I want it, it's, it's selfish, it's self-centered, it's self-consuming. Now that's why not only God codifies what it is we ought not be doing with one another, he also begins to codify those things that demonstrate what we should be doing with one another. He helps us on both ends of the scale. He says over 65 times in Scripture, different things that say one another. There are 65 one another passages. Love one another. Be kind to one another. Help one another. Be gentle to each other. I mean, there's 65 one another passages. Not to mention those passages which we've had underscored this morning that tell us we're to help those who are poor or needy. Those passages that tell us we're to be faithful to family, to friendships, to those who are in the household of faith, to brothers and sisters. You see, the issues of sin and redemption are far deeper than just the location you're going to spend eternity. Now, those things are important, and in your eternity they will be essential. But to be saved means more than just, I got my ticket to go to heaven. I'm glad you got your ticket to go to heaven, but you're causing everyone else hell. It's more than having a ticket to go to heaven. Being saved means you have a relationship with Jesus. 
To be lost doesn't just mean you're going to a place called hell, but it means that you're alienated from God. Are you following me? So Jesus came to this earth. He walked amongst us. He modeled the life that he would like for us to live. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of God. And he did all of these things, not just to secure eternity in his people, but he did this in order that he could break the dysfunction out of our lives. You see, to be saved means that your life should look a little bit more different than those who are not saved. Would you agree? Should we not as Christians navigate life a little bit differently than maybe people of the world navigate their life? And yet, truth be told, we divorce as much as the world divorces. We probably sin just as rampantly. And it's because we've not understood that the grace of God empowers us to live relationally better. Now, no one's going to be perfect, but He empowers us to live it better. Now, I want to give you just some foundational concepts of relationship. These things may be self-evident, but if I don't say them out loud, we probably won't remember them. Some foundational concepts of relationship. Number one, I do believe this is on the screen. All right. We are all wired for relationship. We're all wired for relationship. In Genesis 2.18, when God looked at creation after he had created man he said that it was not good for man to be alone now i get the fact that the direct implication of that was he was going to create a woman for the man and that they were going to procreate and fill the earth i get that but i also get that i think there's a greater precept that's being spoken of here that means that relationship has been and is on god's mind it's in the plan of god um, some people say, you know, well, I don't think I need anyone. Well, I'm just going to challenge that. Yes, you do. You can't say you don't need anyone because if you say you, you, you don't need anyone, then you're already being disobedient to at least 65 portions of Scripture which say that you must do things to one another. How can you obey those Scriptures when you say you don't need anyone? Yes, you do, or you can't obey. So just for obedience sake, we need other people. Trace and I have often laughed because, you know, we're just personality-wise a little bit different. We've taught personalities here. She's sanguine and agrarious, and, 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 and she just, you know, she can walk into a room and, and visit with everybody and, and, and just work the room, so to speak. And that's her nature. That's a sanguine personality. You know, I'm, I'm more choleric. Uh, you know, I don't have to work a room. Uh, it's just, I say, you know, I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying it's just, it's the nature of personality. But the truth of the matter is it doesn't matter whether you're wired needing relationship or if you're wired thinking you don't need relationship, I'm going to settle it. We all need relationship. You know, people, I believe people do better, uh, in companionship. Now, you know, everything I say here, I have to say in generality. So I, I understand that, that before you run off with just something I say, make, make sure you get the whole scoop. But, you know, people generally uh, do better, for instance, being married than they do being single. In fact, that was Paul. Paul said he just went ahead and gave the admonishment. He just said, I would that you marry. In fact, really what singlehood, he, he basically says, you really got to be called to singlehood. And the reason you got to be called to singlehood 
is because of the, the, the sex drive that's been put into most people does not work well in singleness. Because you understand, if you've been called to singlehood, then you've been called to chasteness. That's right, that's right. There's no such thing as Christian fornication. That doesn't work that way. And that's why, that's why Paul said it's better to marry. It's better to marry than to burn. Most people do better in, in companionship. And the reason he, he wants us in, in relationship and companionship, and this is what's really great, is that spiritually so many things can be worked out in your life in a marriage. Isn't that true? I mean, when you're in a marriage, and, and we've been married 30 years, and, and, you know, God's had to deal with all sorts of things in both of our lives, like, you know, murder. And <laughs> selflessness, you know, giving, you know, yielding. I'll say that again, yielding. Think about all the spiritual precepts that get worked out in relationship. The reason people don't want to be in relationship is sometimes that they don't want to be worked on by God because God works on us most often through someone else. I know you think God works on you very specifically all by yourself. And yeah, you put yourself in accountability for a week and we'll figure out whether Jesus has got to everything yet. I'll guarantee you, God uses people in order to work his ways in our life. And apparently God wanted relationship even with us because he created us. I mean, C.S. Lewis years ago said a famous phrase. He said, for God to be God... He has no need for what he needs, he meets in himself. Which basically says if there's anyone that can just stand on his own, God's the one. Because for God to be God, it's not like he has this need that has to be met. And yet, knowing that, he creates mankind and the only thing he asks from man is a relationship. God simply wants a relationship with us. And when he created us, according to 2 Peter 1 and 4, we read this, by which we've been given exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers, that's a great phrase, partakers of the divine nature. So you and I, if we claim to be his, have become partakers of the divine nature. Which means that if God is wanting or desiring, whether he needs it or not, he wants relationship. If we become partakers of that nature, then you and I should want relationship as well. So, number one is we're all wired for relationship. Number two, you need to know that people who reject Jesus will probably reject you. You just might as well, you just might as well get this up front. Right? I wish, I wish we could get every Christian that starts their walk get them off in a corner and look at them and say this. Say, you are going to face a lot of wonderful times knowing the Lord. He's going to help you. He's going to bless you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to be there for you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And we, look, and we give them all of that and then look at them and say this, but the world will hate you. There are going to be times that this is going to be one rough journey because... People who love the world are eventually not going to like you. James 4 and 4 says, listen, adulterers and adulteresses, how would you like that? Just being cast right out there. Hey, you guys. 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself what? Now, see, that's an interesting passage there. Because it instantly says that you can't and you won't be friends with everybody. Now, that's going to be a remarkable thought here for some of you. You can't be friends with everybody. You can't be friends, that verse says, with some people and remain friends with God. Now, here's the deal. People try, and this is what we call, and you want to write this word down, miserable. You're miserable because you want to love God and serve God and be all out for God, but yet you want these people to like you and you want to fit into that group and you want to somehow get affirmation from them. And I'm just telling you, relationally, that won't work. And I'll go one step further. It won't work in family trees either. Get this. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's unsaved friends or unsaved family. It unsaved. And that's why... There's alienation. Jesus said, he said, they hated me, they'll hate you. So, so our commission, of course, is to reach the world, but not everybody will appreciate that. So relationship problems due to God's word, due to God's will, and due to God's ways will be inevitable. Get that in your system. You signed up for some challenges when you met Jesus. It wasn't going to be perfect or easy. There were going to be some challenges along the way. Number three, just giving you some precepts. Number three, the Lord is involved in all your relationships. Everyone say all, all your relationships. You know, I want everyone to like me, but that's just unrealistic. (laughs) Some days my family doesn't like me. I mean, that's just... My commitment to Jesus defines every relationship I have. It defines every contact I make. My relationship to Jesus, sure it does. My relationship to Jesus defined who I was going to marry. Sure it did. Scripture says that we're not to be unequally yoked. So it's not just falling in love, it's falling in love with who the Lord said I need to fall in love with. It affects who I let influence me. It affects who I spend time with. You do understand that if you spend enormous amounts of time with certain people, they might rub off on you. So it would behoove you to be sure that whatever is rubbing off on you is something the Lord would want to get on you. He's in all your relationships. Even my connection to my larger family tree. Listen, if Jesus is Lord, then he gets to define all of your relationships. It's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives inside of me. It's no longer my life, it's His life. It's not what I want, it's what He wants. It's not selfish, it's selfless. It's not what I think I need, it's what He wants me to do. Are you following me? So, if He is defining all my relationships, then ask yourself this question. Do you pray about your friendships? 
Most people I don't think really do. I think they just kind of let it happen. Do you pray, single ladies and young ladies? Do you pray who you should date? Hey, it'd be better to have no dates than wrong dates. Oh, I'll guarantee you. I'll guarantee you that. You don't want to go there. You don't want your heart to go somewhere that ultimately gets trampled on or turned away from the Lord. Hey, do you pray about, I don't believe some people do, pray about who they're going to marry. Do you seek guidance from his spirit? You know the reason we don't is because we don't want to hear what he has to say. And we're back to the spiritual problem again, aren't we? Do you look in his word and ask yourself, does all of this relational interaction that I'm having, does it conform and fit within the guidelines of his word? You see, relationship, folks, just doesn't happen. We think it does. We just, we just go into life. We do relationship. Our brain isn't even tuned to relationship. We just go out and we just start doing it. But I want you to call a time out and ask yourself, is the Lord really involved in these things? Because problem relationships exist because there is some level of sin that is unresolved in that. Whether it be just little bits of selfishness or whether it's great egregious, you know, self-centeredness. Something is in there. So the Lord's involved in all your relationships. And then finally, number four, recognize that relationships exist at different levels. Now, this probably seems self-evident. It probably ought to be self-evident. But again, since we don't think about relationship, then I'm going to share this with you. Recognize that relationships exist at different levels. So, so not every relationship I have is at the same level. Now, forgive me for being simple, but it's usually the simple things that are causing people's problems. So I'll just give it to you like this. The relationship, for instance, I have with my wife. I've been married to my wife 30 years this April. Amen. 30 years. And I might just say the last decade has been great. And, and she would admit the same thing. The first 20, we had to learn a lot of things the hard way. So how, would, how about you just learn off our hardships? Why not? I mean, your other choices, you either learn from me or you're going to learn it on your own. But one way or another, you're going to learn it. Or you're going to end up being a statistic. So my wife and I have a relationship 30 years. And, and it is a solid, deep relationship. Now, I know this seems self-evident, but I have to say it. The relationship I have with her is not at the same level of the relationship that I have at the cashier down at Costco. Are you following me? Now, this is going to be important here in just a minute. Some of you are regular attenders or members here at Legacy. And we have a relationship that's a different level than a relationship of someone I just might meet on a sidewalk. Or a transient. And that's not to say they're bad people or evil people. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you do understand that there's different levels of relationship. You've got to understand that you've got to have different levels of relationship, and that's not a bad thing. There are different levels of relationship that I have with people who are lost and people who are saved. Sure, I do. 
because I have different missions in that relationship with these people. To saved ones, it could be fellowship. It could be encouragement. It could be mutual edification. There could be some challenging. It could be iron sharpening iron. Wonderful things can happen. It's not that it's wrong to have a relationship with those who are lost, but my mission is different. I may have a friendship with them, so to speak, but my mission within that friendship is to be sure that they're being pointed to Jesus who's the only one that can bring wholeness to their life now and ultimately benefit to their life in eternity. You're following me. So the minute, the minute the temperature changes in this relationship and I begin, I begin to be influenced by them, I must disconnect that relationship in order to get back to this relationship in order that one more time I can be strengthened and encouraged and edified and, and built up and challenged. And then I'm ready to go, maybe make some other relationships. Are you following me now? Now that seems self-evident, but unless I said it, it probably wouldn't dawn on some. Proverbs twenty-two, twenty-four. This is what it says here. It says, make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man do not go. Now, why did I put that up there? I put that up there as simply as one verse of many that tells us that not everybody gets to be my friend. It's the Bible. The Bible says, don't be friends with a person like that. Some of you are so mercy-driven. And and, and can I just say, I love mercy-driven people because they are compassionate and long-suffering and patient. And you're just great. But the problem is your mercy gets you into trouble. Now, for me, not that I don't have any mercy, but I'm not mercy-motivated. So for me, I'm constantly working on the mercy side of the equation. And I need to be merciful. And I need to be extending and I need to be more compassionate. So I'm working on that end. But the whole point is this. There are some people that you can't have a friendship with. And we have to untangle that if we're going to make relationship work. So I'm going to give you four levels of connection. I'm going to do this super fast and then we'll be done. I don't know how many of you here this morning are on Facebook. I've decided that I would do Facebook because it's the new technology that causes for me to be able to influence the culture with, with the gospel. So, so I do Facebook in order that I can begin to disseminate these seeds of, of input, of comprehensive Christianity. I can do all sorts of things in order to begin to influence people's lives for the gospel. But can I share this with you? I think, I think my friendship role has reached 841. I have 800, can you believe this, Jason? 841 friends. That's true. Now, I looked at my sons the other day, Clayton, and Clayton's coming up to 2,000, I think, somewhere. 2,000 friends on Facebook. I want to ask a question Do you really think they're your friends? I always thought that was kind of a misnomer. We call them friends, don't we? Because friend is the word we just use for everything. It's like, do you know so-and-so and and you might have met him once and he's like, oh, yeah, 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 he's a friend. (laughs) Really? Some of you, you know, you're on Facebook and I don't know how many hundreds of friends you got. Do you really think you have that many friends? I'm going to say this to you. No. (laughs) No, you don't. And it's interesting sometimes what we share with our friends on Facebook. I want to say, have you lost your mind? 
the things that get posted are just, oh, great. I mean, I'm just, I, you know, one of the features I like on there now is you can, un, you know, desubscribe from them or whatever right now. You can keep your friends, but all they can do is see your stuff, but you can't see their stuff. You know, I think that's really cool. You know, because it used to be you had to defriend them. And that didn't bother me either. But those that are mercy motivated, you know, they, they, they consternate. Oh, do I defriend them or not? What will they think of me? Lord, they live in California. Just get defriend them. But that's what's happened culturally is culturally we've, we've taken these words and, and we've caused it to mean nothing. Friends. Friend, I've got 841 friends. Yeah, right. Right. No, no, you don't. And I'm going to explain to you very swiftly here the different levels. And sometimes people will move through these levels, but these are very important. This is all beginning stuff for the next few weeks, but you got to get it under your belt. I'm going to deal with the first group of people in your life. They're called casual acquaintances. Casual acquaintances. These are people you are around casually. It could be your neighbor. It could be your coworker. They could be saved. They could be unsaved. It could be business relationships, a friend of a friend. There's no commitments. There's no influence. There's no real access in your life. It's the cashier at Costco again that you see once a month because you get in her line and she kind of knows you by sight and you wave and you may ask some little trivial stuff. It's just a casual acquaintance. I mean, I mean these, are, these are people who at a very superficial level are just, are just hitting your life for a brief second. Now, now, the question is, if these people are going to mean any more to you, you've got to start asking yourself questions. And, and, and some of the questions would be, well, do they know Jesus or not? Because, you see, if they don't know Jesus, then your mission is defined in this relationship. You see, there's a purpose to this relationship. Will this be an outreach relationship? Or will this be a support relationship? Is this a missionary moment? Or is this Christian fellowship? Is this providential? God has led me to this place? Or is this demonic? Because some of your relationships you've been led to aren't God. It's the devil. And it doesn't take long to find out why that is the case. Because the next question is, will this relationship lead me further into God's will? Or will this relationship hold me back from God's will? Now, hear me. I'm not saying they're evil people, bad people. But you don't give your heart. And you don't give your energy. And you don't give your access instantly away. I mean, there are people who meet casually, folks on the street. And they're t- they, they'll put them in their house. And they'll board them. And they'll feed them. And I'm... I'm wonderful. But then you call me up and you'll say, how do I get rid of them? And I'm sitting there saying they shouldn't be in there because you didn't go through certain identification processes, a casual acquaintance. Number two, then there are convenient connections, convenient connections. Now this is important because this is where the person that you're being connected with Are they being connected with you? Is it based on a a singular or mutual need meeting? Again, it isn't necessarily wrong unless it turns into something that's being used. Some of you are meeting needs, and that's not a bad thing, but ask yourself, am I being used? See, in church life, for many it works this way. I'll just give you an example for me. Many people see church as simply a place to get their 
need met. So I'll have people come and they'll want food or they'll want their light bill paid or they'll want fuel. Sometimes they'll come and they'll want some moral guidance or some direction. And again, nothing wrong with these things. But for me, what processes in me is this. They really don't want a pastor. They just want a need meter. They they really don't want spiritual authority in their life. They may want a teacher. They may want a counselor. They may, be, they may want a facilitator of certain things. Again, they're, they're not to mean they're bad people. But relationship, listen, their relationship is defined by what they need. You understand in church life, again, we're not talking evil, but some people help pull the wagon and some people just ride in the wagon. Now, they can all be good people, even be saved people. But, but it's there because it's convenient. Now, it works this way in our individual lives as well. For instance, I have oftentimes met couples who, who for it could be either one, the, the woman or the man, they don't want to get married. And the reason they don't want to get married is because it's a convenient connection. They live together not because there's love, but because of convenience, because they both have a mutual need, which is usually based on their sexual drive. So you understand that what's happening here has nothing to do with God working inside of you. It has everything to do with your need being met. In fact, I've heard people even use this and spiritualize it by saying, surely God would want my need to be met. Well, let me just answer that. Yes, he would want your need to be met, which is why he set it up that you might get married to get your need met. You see, the need for sex, maybe the need for two people, it's just cheaper to pay the bills. The needs you have are easier to get met than it is to develop the relationship you need to have in order for that relationship to work well. It's interesting, mostly women get snagged in this, I've just seen through the years. Men don't, they they will at times, but mostly women. Because most women, most women, unless, you know, you're walking the streets down there on rivers and in that area and you're a prostitute, most women don't have sex with a casual acquaintance. I would hope that would be the case. A casual acquaintance and you would give yourself away. I don't get that. Let's just say for most women, they wouldn't give themselves away for a casual acquaintance. So they look at their potential boyfriend, man person here, and they'll say something like, am I more to you than just this casual acquaintance? And and the boyfriend will respond, oh yes, you're much more to me than the cashier down at Costco. And the women inside go, he loves me. No, you don't realize he's moved from casual acquaintance to convenient connection. Yeah, he's moved. You mean more to him than, you know, the lady at Arby's. But that's all he's moved. If he looks at you, ladies, and he says, I love you. And you say, well, I love you. And then he says, prove it. You say this. Baby, you know I'll prove it. When you prove that there's covenant in your heart and you walk your way down to the courthouse and you spend 75 bucks on me. 
Yeah, get your ring too. That's right. You see, that's the sign of relationship. The sign of relationship is not that you get a roof over your head and you get to sleep in a bed. The sign of relationship in this regard is when they go to the courthouse, they pay the money, they put on the ring, they should have gone, ask your dad, take you to a church, get you plugged into church, walk you down the aisle, stand in front of a man of God, say those vows out loud, declare it to the world. That's a covenant. That's a covenant. I'm helping you. Helping you raise your children. I'm helping you look at your sons and your daughters. And you're putting things in order even now with them. Saying, son, this is how it works. When you're ready to declare she's the one, this is how you do it. And daughter, when you think he's the one, this is what we'll be expecting. i got to hurry. I'm long-winded. Number three. You went from casual acquaintance to convenient connection. Now we're up to communion, which is the Greek word koinonia. Which actually means close fellowship, brotherhood, unity, or partnership. This is reserved for those of like faith. This is the word that is used oftentimes of how, how the Holy Spirit works with you. He's, he's in communion with you. Now, now listen, in 2 Corinthians 6.14, post this, guys. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship is righteousness with lawlessness and what communion, communion, you see that, right? Communion has light with darkness. Go to the Ephesians passage and have no fellowship, koinonia, with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. You see, communion is a relationship that you begin to trust. There are common goals, there are common values, there are common purposes. Koinonia, communion, supports you in the best sense of the word. These people are the ones that will help you move towards the Lord. They want you to succeed in the things of God. This is why, singles, you do not marry and yoke yourself with an unbeliever. They cannot do that. Why would you marry yourself to an unbeliever when their, their whole purpose is to get you to go the opposite direction of where you're wanting to go. And listen to me for just a moment. When they say that, oh, if you'll just marry me, I'll change. Do not missionary marry. This is where I'm at. I don't think you should missionary date. I mean, this is the moment you're going to spend a lifetime because saved women, saved women, if you marry unsaved men, the Bible says that as long as they ain't beating the snot out of you or being unfaithful to you, you've got them. You've got them. You say, well, that doesn't seem fair. You wanted what you wanted when you wanted it. Now you got it. See, that's why we ought to be thanking God at times that he doesn't answer all our prayers. Some of you, that's what we should have been thankful this Thanksgiving. Say, Lord, thank you for all the things I asked for that you said no to. Thank you. Because I was stupid. I just had a brain cramp then. I don't know what I was doing. But I, I thank you, Lord, that you didn't do what I really wanted you to do at that time and that you loved me too much to let that happen. Amen. All right? Communion. And finally, we're going to get to covenant. Now, this is covenant relationship. Now, communion, obviously, there's a lot of communion that goes on within the household of God. We're in relationship. Uh, we have fellowship. People of like faith. Covenant takes that even one step further. And marriage is the model. 
Because in marriage, which is the last vestige of covenant that we have on the earth, because we're no longer a covenant society. In fact, Paul said that in last days, men would be covenant breakers. It's the last vestige and illustration of covenant we have on the earth is the marriage because we will stand here on a platform, usually in a sanctuary, and a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, by the way, a man and a woman, We'll stand before each other and they'll say something like this for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, cleaving only unto you for as long as we both shall live. Covenant. Covenant is something you choose. You choose the depth of connection at this point. And you can't be in covenant with everyone. There's a priority list. The Bible gives us a priority list of covenant. Our first covenant is to God Himself. Our covenant exists here. Our next covenant is, is our family responsibility. Our, certainly our marriage and our family and whatever that may mean. There's a covenant that exists there. We remind, I remind my children of this constantly. That, that when you're in my household, there's a covenant bond that exists. And it's not control, but it's covenant. It means when loyalties are challenged... You're a bared. You see, because we're in covenant. Covenant. But then God leads you to other covenants with people of faith. God has dealt with me about apostolic fatherhood and covenanting with people and persons with whom we can build something in God. And the only way that's going to happen is when we begin to covenant with one another. Because how many of you know in church life, there's good days and there's tough days. I mean, if you've been in church... For more than a week, you've experienced something you don't like. I've had people come to me and they'll say, I haven't been to church in years because I had a bad experience. Well, welcome to the human race. You could be in church a week and have a bad experience. Guess what? We're human beings. We're going to do things that disappoint on occasion. We're going to do things that probably don't live up to others' expectations. How many of you know in a marriage that happens? We're disappointed in a marriage. We, they, they, they didn't do something we'd hoped and, and vice versa. It's not all one person's fault. But here's the deal. It's for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, in good times and bad times, when everything's great, when it's not great, when pastor preaches 20 minutes or when he preaches an hour and 20 minutes. It's covenant. That's what you build on is covenant. David and Jonathan made a covenant with each other. It wasn't a biological covenant. It was a covenant that they looked at each other. Jonathan, who was in the natural to become king through his father Saul, but saw God's hand on David. And Jonathan, who had every right naturally to assume kingship in Israel, saw God's hand in David's life. And because there was a covenant that existed between these two, what he did was he elevated David to God's will. Instead of saying to himself, I want what I want when I want it. Covenant. Covenant is where greatest access. Greatest access is, is opened up to you. My wife has great access into my life. I have great access into her life. Why is that? It's because there's 30 years of covenant that has existed here. Listen, when you walk with somebody and, and, and they've stuck with you through thick and thin... 
They've been with you through good times and bad times. They've, they've hung tough with you when no one else would hang tough with you. I'm here to tell you, that person has authority and clout in my life. Don't, don't come to me and, 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 and you've, got, you've, you've been wishy-washy and you're here, there, and everywhere and wonder why you don't have any input. The reason you don't have any input is because you weren't there when it counted. Good days, bad days, better, worse, richer, poor. That's covenant. Covenant. And let me just tell you this. Covenant isn't easy. The only way covenant happens is when the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. That's the only way. Do you understand? There are some people, and you may be married to them. There are some people that are just hard to love. I know. You can't believe pastor said that. How do you love someone that a moment, they're hard to love? Can I just share this, honey? There have been moments that Trace and I have looked at each other and said, I'm here, and I'm not going anywhere, but I don't know that I like you at this moment. Well, you chuckle. I know what's going on at your house. Because I know how much we pray. I know how much we seek God. I know how, how, I know how passionate we are about the things of God. And let me just tell you something. If, if, if I know what it takes in our relationship to be spiritual in order to survive, I know for most people you are facing similar, if not greater, challenges. You'll look at your husband or your wife, and there are moments you say, I don't even know I like you. And for many people, they'll say, so, I'm leaving. That's not covenant. Covenant is when you say, no, I'm going to press through this, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to find that place where I not only like you, but I love you. And I'm going to press through until finally we reach the place of fruitfulness again. And at that moment, God will bless and He will build something. And it will not be torn apart. It will be a witness and it will be a testimony. And God can use it for kingdom purposes. And we shall stand and I will not let the enemy take me out. I am here no matter what. No matter what. And you get that tenacity. Now you're finding out what covenant is. You say, how, how did you do it? The love of God was shed abroad in your heart. I'll just give you the key before we go on. God's going to ask you to love some fairly unlovable people. But you can do it. I don't know what's going on. I'll finish with this. This Christmas season, seems like everybody's email and Facebook is getting hacked. I don't know if you've noticed that. I'm, I'm getting things. In fact, everybody needs to go home and check their email accounts because some, some, some of your email accounts are sending me things you would just be unbelievably surprised. Your email account got hacked. Sometimes it happens on Facebook where somebody gets hacked into Facebook and then it posts and then it posts all in your news feed and it's, it's this disgusting I mean, it just, I mean, you just, you're embarrassed. You know, it, it, which is really strange to me how, how people spend all of their days trying to figure out passcodes so they can, so they can throw, so they can throw up this rotten picture. I mean, get a life. Get a life. I started thinking about that though. There are people who are accessing your life, your email life. They're accessing it because you didn't have a strong enough passcode. You didn't have a strong enough security wall. In fact, sometimes you think you put up a pretty good one and then they break it anyway. 
And then all of a sudden, this, this dysfunctional, crazy stuff gets loosed all, for all the world to see. And can I just suggest to you that, that if, we don't, if we don't understand access and if we don't understand relationship and, and if we don't develop the tools necessary in order to build the appropriate, I'm not talking about alienating walls, but a firewall of protection, it, it's going to be a lot more damaging than just an embarrassing email that gets sent out under our name. It's going to be a life that's going to crash. You don't want that. I will assure you. I guess I've been on marriage this morning, so I guess I'll finish with this. There was an old joke that used to go like this. It doesn't work this way anymore because we have cell phones and other forms of communication. But this was back in the day before cell phones and when you picked up a phone and you dialed it. And especially if you dialed long distance, you know, it would cost you money. And uh, two salesmen flew across the United States and they got to the hotel. And the first thing one of the guys did there was he picked up the phone and he dialed it and he made a long distance phone call to his wife and uh, talked with her a few minutes and hung up and they went out and did their sales business and then a little bit later that day they came back and the guy picked up the phone and dialed the long distance number and he talked for a few minutes with his wife and hung up the next day came woke up in the morning picked up the phone dialed the long distance number talked to his wife for a few moments and then hung up and the other salesman that was traveling with him said hey i don't I don't understand you calling your wife so much. I mean, these, these are long-distance phone calls. Doesn't that kind of rack up quite a bill? And he looked at him and he said, it's cheaper than alimony. It's cheaper than alimony. Four Sundays in a church is cheaper than whatever you think is more important. Four hours of your life in the next 30 days is cheaper than all the hours of loneliness you'll spend if you don't listen to what God may be wanting to say to you and help you ultimately in what's going on in your life. I hope you're here for the whole ride. Amen. Stand with me, will you please?